0: If you're ready to learn practical ways to focus on Christ as you seek wisdom and hope for the difficult job of raising children in today's world, you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Hey there, friends. You're listening to the Million Praying Moms podcast, where each week we're talking about the real issues Christian parents face today and helping you make prayer your first and best response to the challenges of parenting. Before we get started with today's episode, Brooke and I want to invite you to take advantage of a free prayer resource from Million Praying Moms called Seven Essential Prayers for Every Mom. We spend most of our time
1: helping you learn how to pray for your children, but inside of this challenge, we're teaching you to pray for you. It's important. You'll get seven emails sent straight to your email inbox with prayers like, a prayer for when you're losing it all over everyone a prayer for calm in the chaos, a prayer to breathe new life
0: into your day, and so much more. Sign up right away to get the seven essential prayers for every mom series by visiting our show notes at millionprayingmoms.com.
1: Our guest for today is Felicia Masonheimer. She is a blogger and author of Stop Calling Me Beautiful. She's a speaker and podcast host teaching Christians how to know what they believe and how to live it boldly. Her heart is to teach women the history and depth of the Christian faith, which I love, the why behind the Bible, so, so important. Her social media and blog cover topics ranging from sexuality to motherhood to Bible
0: study and faith in seasons of grief and loss. Felicia graduated from Liberty University with a BS in religion. While there, she met her husband, Josh, and together they have two daughters. After living in Virginia and Pennsylvania, they returned to Felicia's hometown in northern Michigan, where they live on a small farm in the country. That sounds really peaceful to me. Felicia, welcome to the show. Tell us about
2: yourself and your family. Well, thanks for having me ladies. It's such an honor to be here. Um, You've covered some of it. We do live in Michigan. There is still snow on the ground where I am right now. And it is mid April, (laughs) latter half of April. And we have two little girls who are four and two and I am 20 weeks with our third baby.
0: Oh, congratulations. Thank you. That's fantastic.
2: You feeling well? Yeah, I feel really good. You know, you get past the first trimester and you feel Mm -hmm. like a new person. So
0: that is (laughs) very, very true. Um, I was telling you guys before this, we I'm in Nebraska, we have, well, we got eight eight inches of snow yesterday.
2: Oh my goodness. It
0: is melting very rapidly and it's supposed to be 67 tomorrow. So (laughs) we're just kind of all over the place. But right now, as we speak, there is snow on the ground enough that my son went out to make a snowman.
2: And that's amazing. We had that probably two days ago or so. It's so interesting hearing it in Nebraska, but makes me feel much less alone.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. You are not alone. It snowed all afternoon and evening yesterday and very, very rapidly. And we were like, what is going on? But you know, if you don't like the weather in Nebraska, just wait a day and then you'll, (laughs) and then you will.
1: Uh, You know what? That's very true here in Virginia too. Although we have had almost no snow this year almost no snow. It's really tragic. My kids are like poised on the edge of their seats, ready to go out and play. And there's just been nothing, but we are supposed to have a really nice weekend this weekend. And I'm grateful because at the time that we're recording this, we are all still in quarantine and we all need to get out of the house. Right. So I'm grateful for that for sure. Well, we're super excited to have you on the show, Felicia. Um, as I was, reading through the introduction to your book, Stop Calling Me Beautiful, which I instantly related to that title. I have to tell you, um, it has been a uh, burden on me for a while as well that, that there is just a lot of shallow stuff that's coming out in, in women's ministry today. So when I saw that title, I immediately wanted to talk to you some more. Uh, when I read the intro, though, I literally stopped and took a deep breath when you said these words women, and and you're referring to believers here, people who know Jesus, women's inner lives are marked by emotional turmoil and daily defeat. They live with rigid rules or uncomfortable addictions, controlling spirits and untamed tongues, everything they were before Christ, just with fire insurance. Now that's a pretty big transition from talking about snow to talking about that. But, and it's a big statement for you to say as well. And I wonder if you can help break it down and help our listeners to see where we fit into that concept and why it's so important.
2: So I wrote this book for my own struggle with what the Christian life is supposed to look like because I felt like I read a lot of these books that were marketed to me as a Christian woman and I would get to the end and I would, you know, be encouraged, right? That's the slogan of almost every Christian women's ministry, encouraging women in Christ. Yeah, I'm encouraged, but to what? And how do I live now? What do I do? Because I'm still angry at my kids, or I'm still snapping at my husband, or I'm still judging that other woman. So where does Jesus change those things? Because I know more about him as a believer now, but I do not know how this works out in my daily life. And so that personal struggle and journey is what originally and eventually led to the writing of Stop Calling Me Beautiful and as we are in that that struggle i think when women when women recognize that and say like i'm done like if jesus is who he says he is then something should be changing in my life i think when we get to that point we are willing to dig deeper into scripture and we're willing to go further in our faith to really discover what god intends for our lives
0: yeah that is really really true and i mean that segues perfectly into what we wanted to talk about next, which is you say early in the book that women are tired of what you call pink fluff theology. Okay. I love that term, but tell us what you mean by that and how we can recognize it.
2: So there's a tendency in women's books to latch on first, any pink passage in the Bible. So any passage that mentions women, because the Bible was written in an ancient culture. A lot of it uses male terminology. It was written by men. And so we can tend to feel like if it's not expressly using a female pronoun, it doesn't apply as much to us. So we hunt for these pink passages and we focus on those instead of seeing that all of scripture was written to us. It was just written in a different time and culture. Secondly, when I use the term pink fluff what I'm picturing in my mind is cotton candy and what is cotton candy you put it in your mouth it's really good and it melts immediately and has no nutritional value so with pink fluff theology it looks appealing and it is appealing and even some of it's true no no pink fluff theology is going to be completely false because we all need that grain of truth to you know swallow it but once we take it in there's no Nutritional value to our spirit. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't really teach us anything about God, and so we end up back in the same circle. We're hungry again an hour later, because that's what we've been consuming.
1: That's really good. So, how would you say that women can begin to recognize that? How do we separate it out from? How do we know? Because there's so many influencers out there right now, uh, quote unquote influencers who are feeding us things that sound good. And sound right. We don't necessarily listen to them and at first blush think, boy, that is completely anti-biblical. It's almost as if there's just enough truth in it to make us think it is, but it may not be. So how do we begin to recognize that as
2: as believers? So that process is called discernment, and it's what I'm all about. It is one of the big things I talk about in my ministry and my work. In discerning this pink fluff theology really comes down to knowing the truth of God's word, using that as your measure, and then measuring these books, these speakers against what you're seeing in scripture. So I'll give you an example. There's a popular saying, you see it on Pinterest, you see it on Instagram, and it'll say things like, you're worthy, just the way you are. Now, based in scripture, we know that we do have a worthiness. But when you just say you're worthy with no context, the question we should be asking is why? Where does that worthiness come from? Is it just because I am who I am and God doesn't care how I live? He doesn't care about sin. He doesn't care if I snap at my kids because Jesus loves me. No, that's not what scripture says. Instead, the word of God says that before Christ, we weren't worthy. We were distant from God He made us worthy by loving us and choosing us and saving us. And that is an amazing thing. That is grace. So when we actually just say, hey, you're worthy just the way you are, we cheapen the grace of God. We cheapen the gospel. We actually make Jesus mean less than if we were to start from that point of you know, I used to be not worthy, but now in Christ, I am worthy. Mm-hmm. And even when I sin, I can come to him and I can repent of that. And I can continue to walk in my worthiness. That's way more powerful than the message we see on Instagram.
0: Oh, girl, I, love I was it just going to say, Brooke's going to go. Brooke's going to get all up in arms over this. I love it. I, I think do. our words
1: are so important. The words that we say are so important. For example, um, another very popular one that I see all the time is, um, like she is strong or fearless, you know, I'm fearless or I'm strong or, or whatever. And I think there are, there is a certain truth to that for believing women. We can be fearless, but it's only because God's faithful. It's only because we serve a faithful God. If we don't have a faithful God, if we don't know that, then we cannot take steps into the unknown without fear. Um, you know, it, we are, we do have a strength as Christian men and women, but our strength doesn't come from us. Actually, our strength is perfected in our weakness as we have to rely on the strength of God. So it's almost like we have to, we have been conditioned as a, uh, as a culture to look within ourselves for those things. And we do have measures of those things in, in each of us. But if we are, counting on ourselves for those things all the time, there will come a point where I will be afraid. There will come a point where my strength will dry up and I will have to rely on somebody somebody else's strength um, to get me through. And so I just think this is such an important message for women to understand that anything that's telling you in the culture to look within yourself is selling you short of everything that God has for you. Because when you begin to look at him as your source, there is a power and a strength in your walk that comes from that. So I love that you used that example. That was fantastic. Um, and I think it's so important ministry to women in today's age is this huge, massive industry. It is, I- I'm sure, I know that much of it is sincerely driven because women want to do just what you said a minute ago, encourage each other. We want to be each other's cheerleaders. Yet many times after we've, you know, spent thousands or at least hundreds of dollars trying to find answers to our problems, we walk away, as you've described, still just wanting more. Like we're only finding enough um, for a short time, but but then when we go back into the real world, it all falls away, or we just aren't given enough to be able to See real change happen in our lives. So, what I'd like to know from you is why have we as women allowed this to happen? Why have we settled or accepted shallow Christian teaching that produces little to no lasting change in our lives? Why are we not demanding more? Why are we embracing the pink fluff, so to speak?
2: I think this goes way back into church history, to be perfectly honest. I think a lot of this has started with a misunderstanding of the scriptures about women and their role in the church. And the idea that if you're not going to be in a pastoral role, you're not going to be doing anything but say the nursery and making muffins, then there's no need for you to know theology. There's no need for you to know the Bible because what would I do with it? And unfortunately, that idea, even though it sounds super patriarchal and super antiquated, it's still very prevalent in today's churches. And so we have to look back at what scripture says about women, first of all. And one of my favorite passages is actually one of the most controversial passages about women in the entire Bible. And it's where Paul says, I believe it's to the Corinthians, that women should be silent in the church. And should go home and learn from their husbands. And so, in our 21st century society, that is a horrible thing to say and completely ridiculous. But if you're looking at the context of what Paul was dealing with in Corinth, he was dealing with a rowdy church that was out of control. It was Greeks and Jews trying to come together, and he was correcting a lot of their behavior. And one of the issues was that women who were not educated in scripture were trying to speak in the church. This is most likely what was going on. And so he says, stop interrupting the service, go home and learn from your husband, who is the theologically educated person in the home at that time. What this tells us, the principle that we take away from this, is not that Paul was saying women can't ever speak or teach in the church because we see women doing that throughout the New Testament. But what he's saying is your women should be theologically educated. Your women should know the word and they should be able to speak and teach and talk about the Lord and the gospel in an educated way. And so truly what he was saying was something extremely countercultural. And today in the church, we can take that principle and we can live it out or we can go backwards, further back than Paul was even wanting us to go.
1: I love that. I've even heard that passage uh, references in that passage to the idea um, that the words that were being spoken in the service were in a different language than the women might have been educated in at that time. And so they, they really didn't understand um, because they didn't even speak, you know, some of them didn't even speak the same language. It was still an educational deficiency there, but the, it was radical to want to, those women to come and and get that information, a radical idea um, for them to do that. So I love that. I love the, the way that we're looking at that verse. It's really very powerful that way. So we have been conditioned to accept less than what God wanted for us to clearly in scripture says, I wanted you to have this. I, I don't want you to, to only just get by on this, that, and the other. And, and, and I, I want you to, you know, learn everything that I have for you at the same time. That's so empowering. And I think an appropriate use of the word encouraging, that's where the true encouragement comes from, is knowing that God wants us to have this kind of relationship with him where we understand his word and we're thriving in his word and we can share his word with other people um, with authority because his word is for everyone, women included.
0: I I think um, one of your questions was about why do we accept this? Um, And I think it's, it goes back to the whole idea of, you know, you're talking about, we are marked by emotional turmoil and daily defeat. And I think the acceptance of pink fluff, or, you know, shallow women's ministry comes from that quick feel good moment that we get from it, right in the middle of our emotional turmoil in the middle of feeling defeated we want something that makes us feel good even if it's just for a minute so we think that's a lot of work to really dive in and understand what it all means i'd rather just feel good about you know what what jesus has to say about me or whatever and and not take that any further and we're you know one of the things i've been most convicted about in my walk with jesus over the last 20 years is not accepting what someone else has to say, but needing to find it myself, Um, I think I spent a lot of time just listening to the experts and I missed stuff that the Bible had for me because I wasn't looking for myself. And so I've been really passionate um, since I came to know Jesus about looking for myself and knowing the answers. And But I can say that even with that passion, I fall into the trap of well, this person said it, and I think I trust them, and it feels good, so I don't need to go any further than that. And that's where we fall into this trap of of not getting any deeper, of just saying, oh, yeah, that sounds biblical, and it, it makes me feel good, so it's probably true, and we accept that, and we don't go any further. When really... We can't trust everyone. We're all human. <laughs> even, even the best biblical scholars are still human, and we need to find the answers for ourselves, and we need to back up what they're saying with the word of God because it doesn't mean anything otherwise. So in the book, Felicia, you make very clear that you believe women don't need to hear any more messages that tell them they're a beautiful daughter of God. While it's true, <laughs> it is true, it very much is true, It lacks power, and if it lacks power, then it can't produce the kind of fruit-filled Christian life we see throughout the Gospels. You even go so far as to say that women are being fed an incomplete Gospel. So, if that's true, what then should the message be to women in the Church today?
2: So, I am certainly not opposed to us saying, you know, we are beautiful daughters of the King, because it is true but if we're going to say it, we need to tell the whole story. How did that happen? And what does it mean going forward? Because those are the details that are getting dropped and getting missed from this whole conversation. So for the message that women need today, I would say we start with the very beginning of the gospel. We start with Genesis. Why do we need God? What did he create us for? He created us for intimacy and communion with him. Sin messed that up. And now Christ is restoring that for us. And when we look at, we have to start with the ugly stuff. We have to start with sin in order to understand and appreciate grace, to understand and appreciate being made daughters of the King. When that happens, and when we see that the ashes were traded for beauty, suddenly that is what transforms our lives. The true full gospel makes our lives different. It makes us live differently. It makes us trust God more. It changes everything. But you have to tell the whole story, not just the pieces of it.
1: Yeah, very, very true. I, our pastor recently said that um, the... Our, I don't remember if it was our pastor or if it was something I read recently, but the author or whoever was speaking said The power to change the life rests with the gospel. The power is in the gospel. It's not in, um, you know, some of the other things that we've been referring to as pink fluff. The power of the message to change the life rests in the gospel. So we have to do a better job of applying, helping women apply the gospel to their everyday lives. So I think that, and that's a part of the solution, but, you know, as we're trying to understand that problem and, and, and how to fix it, you know, what are some practical steps that we can take to do that? What, what if our own women's ministries or the women's ministries uh, that are represented in this audience that are listening right now inside of our own churches are leaving us hungry for more? What's the next step? What do we do? How do we fix it?
2: I think a really great first step is to just start studying the Bible for itself, trying to find out who is God, who has he revealed himself to be. Because so often we come to the Bible as this life manual. Have you heard that phraseology? You know, the Bible is a manual for life. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't read the manual to my car unless something is wrong. Yes. (laughs) I only read the manual to my car on an as needed basis. And so when we talk about the Bible as a manual, what we're really saying is we pick this up when there's a problem, we go to it to find the problem. And then once we fix the problem, we put it away. But that's not how scripture was written. It was written to reveal God's character so we could trust God's character and so that we could live with Him forever, now and eternally. So, starting with the Word of God in our women's ministries, in our homes, is so important. And I think it can be so simple. Instead of doing another book study, maybe suggest, what if we just did the book of John as a women's ministry? We went through a chapter every week. We read it aloud and we just discussed it. We got some resources from the pastor and we kept it really simple. I think we feel like we have to make it really complicated. It has to be fancy. We have to be doing a themed craft with it or something. But reality is the Bible, it takes time to study, but it is it is simple. You can come to it. You can read it. You can access resources to help you understand it. And whether that's during your own quiet time or during a women's ministry, I think that is the simplest, best starting point.
0: I have to say that the most impactful Bible women's Bible study I have gone to went through the book of Genesis and it was not, it did have women's elements. It was, it was written. The study was written by a woman, but just the unfolding of who God is and how he revealed himself and how the story was told and why the story was told. And like all of that was more impactful than any women focused or woman focused Bible study that told me more about myself or, you know, anything like that that Bible study, changed me more than anything. And it was simply studying Genesis, which I was like, I know Genesis. Like I've read that a million times from all those times you try and read the the Bible in a year and you make it through the first four books. And then you're like, Oh God, you know? So we've read Genesis a lot, but really reading it and studying it with other women and not being all about us, but about God and about who he is and what he was doing. and all of that stuff. My goodness, that changed me. And what you're saying is like, we our women's ministries don't have to be about women. They need to be about God. Like that is what changes us. And, um, I, I'm even thinking back, like we used to, I used to do youth ministry and we did a girl's sleepover and it was called daughters of the King. And I think that was really important. But the more I grow up, Cause you want them to know where their identity is. You know, they are daughters of the King, but as I grow up more and more, I want, I don't want them to just know they're children of God. I want them to know that they're saved and like, that's your identity, like your salvation. You are like, that's the stuff that we need to be focusing on as our identity, not just um, like you said, a beautiful child of God or this, that, that stuff doesn't change us. That goes, oh, that feels good. And that's good to know, but it's not the reality of what our lives are. If we're just a daughter of the King, that sounds like an easy life, you know, and that's not, doesn't tell the whole story, like you said. And so I love the idea of focusing on God and who he is and who, and all of that and the gospel and how that changes us rather than just who we are. So I feel like we have like multiple sermons
1: going on here. (laughs) I do kind of feel like we're having a come to Jesus meeting this morning (laughs) or this afternoon. So I love that. I was having a conversation with my son, my almost 15 year old. And you know, he made a profession of faith a long time ago, several years ago, but he is very much, I think in a normal phase of his development where he's really questioning things and trying to understand. And he has hard questions that I I can't answer apart from, well, we may never know the answer to that question on this side of heaven. You know, there's, there's some of that, that just, it's called faith for a reason, right? There's some times where we just don't have the answer. And he said to me, um, just, just the other day, he was like, well, I know who God is. So I know the, I know that I'm right about this. And I I took, I took a moment and I just said, I picked up my Bible and my Bible is big and the one I used for my study. And I said, Have you read this whole book? And he said, Well, no, I haven't read the whole book. And I said, Then you probably don't know him as well as you think you do. And we probably ought not to make assumptions about God's character when we have, you know, for you guys who are not who are not watching, I'm I'm putting my fingers together with just a tiny portion of the Bible. We have we have these little tiny portions of what we know, but until we we take in the full counsel. Of, of God, we don't know the, the heart of, we don't know his heart. And so it's important for us to study the Bible for ourselves so that we can try to find those answers and understand him, but we don't necessarily know him as well as we think we do if we're not studying the Bible for ourselves. Would you agree with that, Felicia?
2: Oh, absolutely. That's such a great way to put it because your whole life you're going to be learning more about him. We can never fully know him, this side of heaven, as Paul says. Now we see in a mirror dimly and then face to face. But he has chosen to reveal himself very clearly, not only through creation, you know, it says the heavens declare the glory of God, but also specifically through the Bible. That is how we know him. So I think as we tend to tell women, oh... You know, the Bible's too hard, it's too complicated, it's for people with PhDs. So naturally we're bent to using um, more watered down material. And I'm not saying that something that's simplified is what necessarily watered down. Um, you can have something that takes big theological concepts and makes them understandable without watering down the concept but you can also have something that waters down who God is and waters down the gospel and makes it all about us and not about him. Mm-hmm. And so there's a fundamental difference between those two different kinds of bible studies, you know. And so we want the kind that is pushing us like you're saying like to know the character of God because I often say you can't trust what you don't know, right? We don't marry somebody that we don't know because we can't trust them, right? Most cases, it would be a good idea to trust them and know them before you get married. But if, if you're looking at God as like, well, I know I have to put faith in him, but I don't really know him. Is that like, what kind of faith is that really? We put faith in him because we trust his character. And the more we know his character through the word, the more reasons we have to trust.
0: That is beautiful. I love that. I love that. Um, So Felicia, the focus of our ministry here at Million Praying Moms is to help parents make prayer their first and best response to the challenges of parenting. And while we haven't overtly talked about how this applies to moms, I wondered if you could share for a moment what impact this kind of living that we're talking about right now has had on your motherhood.
2: Oh, absolutely. This is such an exciting thing for me. So one of the big things that comes up a lot is the idea of the perfect quiet time. So having a quiet time that's like an hour long with coffee and a candle and music and, you know, you got your highlighters and everything. And I do teach Bible study workshops. So, and I suggest highlighters and study Bibles and all sorts of fun stuff. However, We all know that once you have kids, that doesn't always look ideal. And for a lot of moms, I think seeking God through the word falls to the wayside because their circumstances are no longer ideal. So really what it was about was about the environment and the quietness and not about coming. And that's a hard word, but I've had to face it in my own life that I enjoyed coming to the Lord through his word, but I had to have everything perfect in order to do it and so having kids really upset that apple cart in a good way and taught me that it does not matter what's happening or if they're with me but i can come to god anytime whether it's in prayer while i'm washing dishes or whether it's studying the word right in front of them and most days these days i do my bible study with my highlighters with my all my stuff set out with them playing right at my feet and i think that going deeper with the Lord in front of them, um, instead of early in the morning, which is my ideal, and I do that too, but doing it in front of them shows them, my mom, she believes what she's teaching me. She lives what she's teaching me. I remember when I was growing up, I had Christian parents, and I remember getting up early in the morning and seeing my dad praying or seeing my mom in her armchair reading her Bible. And so when they would teach us about God and the gospel, we knew that it wasn't just something they were doing or that they were delegating to the youth pastor. It was something they believed. And so I think that's one aspect of it.
1: Yeah, that's so great. Um, It is living out our faith in front of our kids is one of the best ways that we can parent them. Actually, showing them that what we say we believe you know putting putting actions to those words is probably more important than anything you know creating the perfect circumstances and making the perfect choices and and putting them in the right schools and the right after school programs and you know or even the right church and the right youth program and the right youth camps living out the message of the gospel in front of our kids teaches them way more about Uh, the things that are important in this world than any, any other kind of decision that we could make. We always like to wrap up our shows by asking our guests to share one verse or passage that they're currently praying for their children. So what is on your heart to pray for your family right now?
2: So I actually use a book by Jody burnt. You're probably familiar with it called praying the scriptures over your children. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I read a chapter every day and pray over my girls with it. And so there's always different verses every single day. But I recently was reading a verse that, and I cannot remember the reference off the top of my head at the moment, but um, talked about them being filled with the power of God to do the work of God, to do good works. And I think that it's it's a powerful passage for me to pray for them, because I want them to rest in their salvation, I want them to know Christ to know they're saved, like Aaron said um, but I also want them to be filled with the power of god to to do any activity for God because so many of us we do the activities for God apart from the power of God, you know we we do all the good Christian things, and I would rather them be in or out, you know, so that I know, <laughs> you know, that they're doing this because they love the Lord and they, they want to follow the Lord. And so that's what I, what I pray for them.
0: That is beautiful. Like I, I love, we, when we get in that conversation of what we're doing for God and stuff, we, people tend to fall on one side of like, we don't have to do anything for, you know, like no works or works are really good. And I love that, that clarification of like, doing the works of God that he's called us to with his power, not in our own strength. And, and that's a beautiful thing to pray for them. Felicia, this was a great episode. There's like so much packed into a small amount of time. Thank you for joining us today. Tell us where our listeners can connect with you if they want to follow along with what you're doing and where you are online and all of that.
2: Sure. So my name is spelled a little different which will contribute to whether or not you can find me online. It's P H Y L I C I A for Felicia. And my website is feliciamasonheimer.com. I have a blog with about, I think it's around 500 blog posts on it. So there's a lot of information on there. And then my Instagram and Facebook are both my name, Felicia Masonheimer.
1: Fantastic. All right. That's it for today, friends. As always, You can find any specifics from our show in our show notes at millionprayingmoms.com, including a link to order Felicia's book, Stop Calling Me Beautiful. Tune in next week for another episode of the Million Praying Moms podcast. Hello, hello. Puanice Petway here, co-host of the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. Are you someone who loves to take a deep dive into God's word one verse at a time to explore his will for your life and desire to draw closer to him?